So last week, uh, we started a conversation talking about um, the idea of how life's uncertainties and anxiety and those kinds of things, when we feel anxious or stressed, that we can get caught up in all of that. And sometimes it's our past, like we're, we're mired in the past and sort of the things that have happened. Or a lot of times it's sort of the present, right? The things that are right in front of us that we just keep being, we're like reminded of constantly. Or it can be about the future, the things that haven't even happened or may not even happen yet. And we start spinning and thinking about all of those things. And so what we talked about was just the way that we combat that. We combat anxiety, and I offered this verse to you guys maybe in a new way, seeing it in a different way than we had before, just that all of the little detailed things that we tend to seek in our walk, the command that Jesus gives us is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. And the all that he's referring to is everything that came before that in Scripture in his Sermon on the Mount. And so I don't have time to unpack all that, but you can check out the sermon from last week. But here's the point. In God's God's world, in all this, he made it, right? And his kingdom is the only thing that matters. And when we get distracted by these other things or we allow them to get a hold of us, sometimes they can distract us from what he has for us. So uh, the encouragement was for us to not get caught up in maybe the things that were going wrong or the things that we don't have, whether it's physically or whether it's spiritually. But the idea is that when we see the king, like when we see him for who he is, when we look at Jesus, when we focus on Jesus, when he is the only thing in our view, when we follow him, we walk in his ways, we end up right in the middle of that kingdom that that talked about. I mean, it's only natural. The king's going to be in the kingdom, right? So we find him there. And what we do is we find this place of peace. And he describes it as shalom. And shalom is different than maybe the word peace that we have. It means a lot of things. It means not just a lack of war, but like contentment, just this abiding contentment that no matter what's happening around you, that in the middle of that, you are just content and secure knowing uh, that you are a child of the king. It also means that when the troubles of life happen to us, when stuff goes down or it goes wrong, It puts all of that stuff in its proper context because we can say, you know what? I'm a child of the king. So I have a question. This week I'm standing in the checkout line at uh, the grocery store, and most of you probably don't even go to the grocery store anymore. You just order your groceries online. Uh, But I'm standing there, and I'm looking, and there's all of these tabloid magazines. How many of you look at those? Let's be honest. Come on. We're all friends here. I don't believe you. I'm sorry. Okay, a few of you do. Okay, good. So you'll understand. The rest of you guys will just have to figure this out. But I'm looking at all these tabloid covers, and they all look almost exactly the same now. And every one of them had to do with what was going on over in the United Kingdom. And I'm not sure if you're aware, so let me just give you the lowdown. Apparently, things are not great at the castle with the queen and with the new princess and with everybody else. And... There's no one on record or official, right? But uh, all these inside reports that things are just not going well there. And I think that this fascination with the Royals, not the baseball team, right? But the Royals, as in over there, is interesting. I mean, if you think about it, like people in America are oddly absorbed in all these trappings from basically a group of people that we said no to and broke away from a couple of hundred years ago, right? 
We said, sorry, we're not interested in that form of government. We're going to do our own thing. We broke away, and we asserted our claim to independence. And yet, here we are, like we're really fascinated by what's happening there, you know, whether it's the wedding on TV. Oh, it looks just like in Disney movies. It's amazing, right? Like we're just completely enthralled with this thing. Um, I think that kings and kingdoms are interesting to us because they're so different. They're different than maybe anything that we've truly experienced in our lives. Uh, Our independent democratic sensibilities, right? uh, We reject this notion of being submitted to anyone because I'm a free man, right? Or woman. I know what's best for me. I won't bow to anyone. I don't need some politician telling me what to do, right? The kingdom represents all those things like old school and we're kind of over here. But here's why I'm talking about this. I think sometimes that independent thinking that we have makes it difficult for us to relate to the idea of a king or a kingdom as it's provided to us in Scripture. In fact, I think sometimes this even carries over into our walk with Jesus. And you're like, well, how is that possible? What do you mean by that? Well, someone might say, well, you know what? I'm just fine with Jesus as long as I can remain an independent contractor over here and sort of do some of my own thing, okay? I love all the cool stuff and the nice stuff and the making you know, lots of fish sandwiches out of just a few things. That stuff's amazing, okay? I want all of that. But I kind of don't want Jesus telling me what to do all the time. Sometimes I like to do the things that I like to do, right? And so there's this thing that happens where we might struggle against that tension of a king and a kingdom, yet being free-thinking independent people. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God is not like any earthly kingdom. It's not like any monarchy that we've seen because earthly kings tend to demand subservience and they tend to uh, deliver very little in return for that subservience too if we look at history. But the kingdom of God is a different story. That shalom I talked about, that peace of the creator of the universe is one of the things that he gives us in his kingdom. The kingdom of God where we acknowledge that we, like Paul, right, in the New Testament, he's sitting in a Roman jail. And out of all the things that you could be praying for in one of the worst jails in history, the thing that he's praying for is for God to use him effectively in that situation. How do you do that? I would submit to you that he knew that God was with him and that he had not abandoned him regardless of his circumstances. Because again, I'm going to say it, the glory of God's kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, is the end game for our lives. Worshiping him is what we were made for. And I would suggest that when we're not doing that, when we're not focused on that, we're always going to be dissatisfied. Otherwise, we're out here, we're directionless, we're trying to survive, we're relying on our own devices to navigate the universe. And the universe is a really big place. And I don't know about you, but I don't have the skills to navigate. Space scares me just a little bit, I'm going to be honest, okay? People start talking about taking commercial flights to space, and there's a part of me that's like, it'd be really easy to get lost out there, okay? But there's a part of that, too, that's cool because it also shows us the grandeur of God. And so uh, the times that I lose sight of Jesus, I'm finding, and I think that most people would, are the times that hopelessness tends to set in in my life. And so to illustrate that, I want to tell you guys a little story. So there was once this kingdom. By the way, I forgot this. This is a quote from a friend. When Jesus is your king, your story becomes his glory. It's very similar to that. And that's the truth. His kingdom is all that matters. So here's our kingdom story. Once there was a kingdom. Isn't it beautiful? Who would like to live there? That'd be pretty cool, right? So there was this king. 
that lived in this kingdom, and he was a benevolent king. He was a good king. And the people loved him. And the reason that they loved him was because before this king came along, they were under the control of this evil enemy ruler. And this evil enemy ruler, he was like really cruel to them, and he made them slaves, and he gave them very little to survive on. And so there the people were, and the king saw the situation, and he was distraught because he's, a, he was, he's just a good guy. So he saw it, and he's like, you know what? I need to do something about this. And so he found this leader, and he sent this leader into this situation. And this leader led the people in defeating their oppressors, and they were freed from their slavery. And so most kings would stop just there, but this king was a good king. And so what he did is like, He helped them do all of these things that he knew they would need. He helped them establish a local government. Uh, He taught them how to live together. He also provided for their needs, which is really cool. He would uh, give them food and he would give them shelter. And he took a large portion of his land and he just gave it to the people. He said, here, live on this and I'll protect you. The only official request that this king had for the people, all I ask of you is that you would show allegiance to me and that you would follow the rules of the kingdom. One of the most important things to this king was fellowship with his people. He just loved to hang out with them. He just loved being around the people. He would host these lavish banquets that were open to all who would come just so that he could get to know them and so that they could get to know him. And it was really good. The people did. They loved it. They would come in. They were so glad. The king, even with all the things that he gave them, they would come to these banquets and he would give them more. And everybody was happy and satisfied. And it was wonderful at first. But then as the people started to grow comfortable, they kind of lost sight over the years of all the things that the king had done for them. And then they just stopped coming to visit the king. Then, after a while, they began to ignore the rules of the kingdom. They began to hurt and mistreat each other. They weren't content working for the good of the kingdom, and they became selfish. And then, they began to complain about the king who had only done good things for them. So the king, because he's good, he sent several ambassadors to the people. He's like, you need to tell them. And so these ambassadors would go to the people and they would try to reason with them and try to settle all of the disputes that the people had. And sometimes the people would just yell at them. And other times the people would just try to hurt the ambassadors that came along. And then other times they would just completely ignore them. And so these ambassadors and representatives would return to the king And they would tell him what happened. And so finally the king said, you know what? We have to do something about this because it can't continue the way that it is. So he sent his herald, who is basically a person who comes and announces something. He sent his herald to the people. And his herald went in and said, listen, the king wants you to know that if you don't come to your senses, he has no other choice other than to withdraw his forces from protecting your land And just allow you to live there yourselves with all of the responsibilities that come with defending it. Sadly, the people didn't listen. 
And so that's what the king did. The king withdrew his forces, let the people have the land. And it wasn't very long afterward that a king that lived nearby who was not a good king rushed into the situation to this opportunity, he called it, right? And so he rushes in and he conquers the people very easily and he puts them in this situation where they weren't happy. He was not a kind king. He took the best houses and lands for his people. He took the best food and livestock for his people. And then he forced all the people living in that land to be slaves working in the fields for him. Not only that, he gave them very little to survive on. And so after a while, the people began to realize how amazing their true king was. The guy that had rescued them. Like, you know, he was wonderful. And they were in this moment where they were desperate. And so they sent word to the king. They asked him, please forgive us. They told him how much they wished that things had would be the way that they used to be. And then finally they asked him if he would help, if he would step into the situation. And so, of course, the king is a good king, and he's moved by this, right? It's like, I can't let these people suffer like this. He truly loved the people, and he'd only wanted their best all along. So he chooses his best general from all the men that he had, and he sent that general into the situation. And that general orchestrated freedom yet again for the people from the evil king's forces. He conquered the evil king, and he delivered the people. And the good king reigned peacefully once again. And he started up his banquets. He invited the people to come back to the castle, and they did. And things were good in the kingdom. It was wonderful, and it was uh, almost like it used, used to have been, right? It was almost the way that it was before, and, and it was wonderful, and everybody was happy at first until the people grew comfortable, and they lost sight of what the king had done for them. And they began to ignore all the rules of the kingdom. And they began to hurt and mistreat each other. And they weren't content working for the good of the kingdom. They became selfish and they began to complain about the king who'd only done good things for them. And the cycle repeated again and again and again. The story that I just shared with you is a true story. And you can find this story woven throughout Scripture, but specifically in the book of Judges. This is what it looks like. And every time this happened, the people never quite got back to the place that they were before. So each time the cycle repeated, things were diminished. But throughout the book of Judges, the author notes something that I think is super important for us to get a hold of today. There's this correlation between the evil of the people and the absence of of a king. And so there's a phrase that comes over and over, and I'll share one of them with you. This one is in Judges 21. In those days, this is how the book ends, by the way. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Just when you think the cycle is going to get to this really wonderful, glorious part at the end of the book, this is where it ends. So by choosing to do what was right in their own eyes, the people failed to do what was right in the eyes of God. And they made this huge mess. So here's the thing. Without a king, their story was hopeless. 
and it was without direction. But good news is on the way because Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And if you know anything about him, you know that the people have been longing for the one true king, the good king, who would be descended from the great king, which was David. And they were holding on to all these promises that the prophets had given them, like guys like Isaiah in chapter 9, where he said that the ultimate king would come to establish this lasting kingdom. And that kingdom would be defined by justice, righteousness, and true shalom or peace. So picture the scene. You're probably familiar with it. Passover, right before what we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the town is going nuts, like all the way to the city, people are lining the roads. They'd heard about Jesus. They knew what he was about. They'd heard his teachings. People had been healed. Amazing things were happening. And he rides in humbly on this donkey and the people are shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. people truly expected that their messianic king, Jesus, would restore Israel's freedom and former glory, that he came to rule and he came to reign. But once again, they tried to write the script on their own terms, and instead of submitting to God's version of things, they refused to accept the shalom being offered them, and much of humanity has been following suit ever since. So here's why I offer this to you today. I believe that there is a pervasive sense of hopelessness in our world today. Some of us may even suffer from that at times. And I could offer you lots of dramatic examples here, but I'll limit it to really to one. If you look at statistics and the rise of uh, the suicide rate in the United States since 1999, it's gone up across the board across all ages 30%. And when you start to look at specific age categories, especially for younger people from 15 to, say, 20s and early 30s, the numbers are even more staggering. Many of those situations, and I get that sometimes those decisions are a result of mental illness, but in many of those situations, people had simply lost hope. And they lost direction for their future. And I just want you to know if that's you today, please know that there's hope to be found in Jesus. And listen, I know how that sounds. That sounds like the VBS Sunday School Band-Aid answer. But the truth of the matter is, I tell you that from experience. I've struggled with depression myself. And there's a part of that that no matter what other people say to you, you can't dig yourself out of that hole. I can't explain it. I can just tell you that it's real. And I'd never experienced something like that in my life before. But in the middle of all that, I had some really good friends that were consistently good friends. And I had Jesus as an anchor. He was the thing that saved me. And if you don't know me, you might be thinking, well, you know, okay. I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you, but listen, 
I was a pastor when this happened. He's a guy that knows better, right? No. So if you're in the midst of dark times, when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords writes your story, he can use it for his glory. It becomes his glory. According to John, one of the gospel writers, he says about Jesus that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The King of Kings has an intimate knowledge of your story. That's what it tells me. Everything that was made, he had a hand in it. He has the power to reveal to you his will. And his will, the importance of it, compared to anything else you might be struggling with. And no matter what your circumstances, you need to know that darkness will not prevail in your life when Jesus is your anchor. When we desperately seek the Father's kingdom through our Messiah, Jesus, we don't do that to make the troubles end because, you know, Jesus promised us that we would have troubles in this life. But we do it because when we align ourselves with God's will, That's where we find peace in the midst of trouble. That's where we find hope in the middle of the struggle. So how did Bible heroes, guys like Paul, right, in the prison, or Peter, or Noah, I mean, go down the list, men and women, who were just normal, everyday people like you and me, that were punished for what they believed, that were ridiculed for what they believed, that were even tortured for what they believed. How did they find peace in their circumstances? Or if we need a modern example, how do all the people that are part of the church, the underground church in China right now, that is exploding, how do they find peace in the middle of oppression and death and torture? How is that possible? How do these people thrive, find faith, hope, and love all the stuff, right? The hallmarks of our faith. And that shalom in the midst of such terrible circumstances. How is it possible? I would suggest to you that it's because they're connected to the king. And so practically, here's what it looks like. And I'm not going to hit these for a long time because we'll be talking about them soon in the future. But here's a few things to consider. And if you want the slide afterward, I can give it to you. So don't feel like you have to scramble to get all this down. But the ways that we're connected to the king through prayer, which is communication with the king. And remember, when you communicate with somebody... That communication is two-way. It's not one-way, right? So lots of times we want to go in with the grocery list and say, here it is. God, here's all the stuff that I'm dealing with. You need to please come and fix everything for me. And I think we can take those requests to him. But communication, true communication is a two-way street. So it's not only speaking, but it's listening to what he has to say, which moves into the next one, which is considering the king, meditation and reflection. And all of these kind of bleed together, really. Considering the king, when we consider not only the works that he's done, but we consider his word, uh, the good things, the things that he's already promised us. And that takes us to the third one, comprehend the king. We need to study God's word. We talk all the time, especially in the West, about seeking God's will for our lives. But I'm convinced that he's pretty much told us almost everything that he needs us to know in his word. And that the things that he's going to challenge us and call us and ask us to do are always going to spring from that. The fourth one is service to God and others or compassion of the king. 
loving God and loving others together is the mission statement of this place. And really, it's the mission statement of all Christians. Showing the love of that king so that he's made real in the lives of other people. And then the last one is crowning the king or worship. And that's not only individually with our lives and the way that we live them, but it's also together, corporately. Because God wants us to be part of community. That's how he does a lot of the work that he does in our lives. So today, if you feel as though hope is lost, I want you to know that it's most certainly not. Desperation calls us to pursue a life of spiritual discipline, but that draws us into God's kingdom, into his shalom. Hebrews 12 describes Jesus, King Jesus, right, as the author and perfecter of our faith who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That should give you confidence for a bunch of reasons. But if you feel like things are spinning out of control today in your life, it may look that way, but you need to know that the author is not finished writing yet. Your story continues. So we all need Jesus, King Jesus, to rule over our lives, and that's his desire. He just wants to know us. And so today, as we kind of wrap this up, I just want to share one more thing that really changed my perspective. Because so many times we think about seeking him. We get this command, right? And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added to us. And so there are a lot of times that I think, okay, it's all on me. I got to chase that down. But I want you to know that our seeking him is a response to the goodness of the king. This is a quote from Henry Nouwen, an author. He's great if you've not read him, but... Here's what he says. How radically the character of my spiritual journey changes when I no longer think of God as hiding out and making it difficult as possible for me to find him, but instead as the one who is looking for me while I am doing the hiding. That's good. You know what? Take it all the way back to the very first story we have in Scripture, Adam and Eve. Remember? They fell, they sinned, and what happened? God came looking for them. He's been looking for us ever since. He has a furious longing for this regular, continuing relationship with each one of us. But just like any relationship, that relationship needs attention. So my invitation to you today is to make time to be connected to the king. When we are focused on Jesus, when we are all in with him, when he is the center point for our destination... We'll have that shalom. We'll have that peace. It will work out. And he's the only place that we find that purpose. And so here's what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to take a moment right now to practice this. And so if you're visiting with us, um, first off, I just want you to not be anxious. This will be good, I promise. So here's what we're going to do. I would like you guys to break up into groups with people around you. Please include people that are not in your family, um, maybe four or five people. Any more gets a little hard to deal with. If you see somebody, if you're a regular DC person and you see somebody that's visiting today, make it easy for them. Jump right in, man. Go over, get with them. Introduce yourselves. Share something that you need prayer for right now. Like whatever it is, the big thing in your life. I need prayer for this. Share it with your group. And then you can all pray if you want to do that. If you don't want to pray, you don't have to. Uh, But somebody step up and pray those prayers. And so we're going to spend just a few minutes doing this, and then I will come back and um, close and dismiss you guys. So find some folks and pray with them.